0: Hey, welcome to the Seattle Psychiatrist interview series. This educational series is brought to you by Seattle Anxiety Specialists. Located in downtown Seattle, our psychiatrists and therapists specialize in treating anxiety, anxiety disorders, and other mental health issues that commonly lead to anxiety. For a full list of our services, as well as access to our multitude of online resources, check us out online at seattleanxiety.com. Welcome to this installment of the Seattle Psychiatrist interview series. I'm Maya Shu, and I'm a research intern here at SAS. Today, I'm joined by Kenneth R. Rosen, who is an award-winning journalist. His book, Troubled, The Failed Promise of America's Behavioral Treatment Programs, was an instant number one bestseller on Amazon, a New York Times editor's choice, and one of Newsweek's most highly anticipated books of 2021. His personal experience with the tough love industry and how it often fails the young adults of this country. He's also been featured on NPR, The Sun Magazine, and the Very Bad Therapy podcast, which is how I found him. Ken, would you like to introduce yourself and maybe start off by talking a bit about your own experience with wilderness therapy?
1: Maya, thanks so much for the opportunity for reaching out. Um, I think this is great. Um uh, my experience with therapy started back when I was 16 after after a few years of individual one-on-one therapy and uh, outpatient treatment programs that didn't work for me. I was taken in the middle of the night by two transporters to a wilderness therapy program in upstate New York. Um, over the course of the the next 288 days, I would um, stay two stints in wilderness um, in upstate New York while also being shuttled between a therapeutic boarding school in Massachusetts and a um, residential treatment center vis-a-vis ranch in uh, southern Utah. So my tackling of Troubled, which was a, a product of journalistic endeavoring as well as a personal unearthing of my own uh, past issues and, and time spent at these programs, was an attempt to understand what had happened to me back then and what had happened to me in the years that followed those programs and that, that type of treatment. So while Wilderness is discussed in Troubled, I also follow for students who went through residential treatment centers, therapeutic boarding schools, and then into their adult lives thereafter.
0: Great. And for our listeners who are unfamiliar, can you define and distinguish wilderness therapy versus a residential boarding school and versus a therapeutic treatment center?
1: Wilderness therapy is often sometimes um, uh, called adventure therapy or outdoors therapy. And I think it's a misnomer because it leads people to believe that it's something that it's not. Wilderness therapy in in a large portion of the country is a place, a holding place for children to um, sort of ease their way into more residential programs. So they're stripped of their civil liberties and taken to remote places and given uniforms and told to hike and fend for themselves in a wilderness wilderness theater, as it were. Um, the, the point of this is to ingratiate those students and those clients with a sense of a hierarchy in program language and also the therapeutic language that they'll be using um, in the programs to come. Um, a lot of times the rejuvenating capacity of wilderness is missed in large part because of how students get to these programs, to the wilderness programs, which is through a transportation sor- service, which I briefly outlined um, that I went through is when two men or women come into their room in the middle of the night and take them at the request of parents in large part because parents feel that they their children might be flight risks or that the programs require this sort of treatment to ensure the safe transportation of children to these programs. Unfortunately, recent studies have shown that that transportation in and of itself is very traumatic and leads children to then miss out on all the rejuvenating qualities of uh, wilderness. I think nobody will argue that spending some time in the woods is a great thing, that fresh air is uh, healing, no doubt. Um, it's just an unfortunate side effect of the way we treat children in America writ large that they feel the need to be transported against their will.
0: Right. So what I heard was that the wilderness therapy is an avenue toward a therapeutic boarding school or a behavioral intervention center later on, and that um, the The lack of therapeutic benefits that don't happen is due to that traumatic transportation system that often happens in the beginning.
1: Correct. In part, a lot of the residential treatment facilities that I researched and spoke to for the troubled uh, required it to be uh, part of the acceptance package into their program. So a child had to go through therapeutic um, wilderness programs beforehand. Some programs had at times had that integrated into their school so that it could be a one, step to um, the residential program straight from wilderness rather than a a secondary program. Um, But it's not only the fact that they're transported uh, to these programs, but it's also that some of the staff members at the wilderness programs aren't necessarily qualified to handle the students and the needs that they have, whether it be psychologically or physically or emotionally. Um, When I was in wilderness and when a lot of the people who were mentioned in the book were in wilderness, they would meet with licensed clinical social workers or therapists maybe once or twice every week, uh, once or twice every few weeks. It wasn't a consistent therapeutic environment. That day-in, day-out, 16-hour environment was run by people who had an interest in outdoor education, who liked hiking, who had uh, a keen sense of direction, but weren't necessarily equipped as an LSC, a licensed clinical social worker would be, or a clinical psychologist.
0: I remember from the very bad therapy podcast, you talking about the lack of adequate supervision and training with the counselors of these programs, and that even very, very recently, maybe within the last year, you found that still their hiring requirements are that you only have to be over 21 to be a counselor of these programs. Can you talk a little bit about the impact of having untrained counselors on, on these grounds and these programs?
1: Well, the children are always marked as troubled from the get go. And so when the programs ultimately fail wilderness ultimately fails a child, and they go back to or they relapse or they go back to doing drugs or sexual deviant behavior or what have you, um, they blame it on the kid who was inherently bad before or just difficult. Rather than saying that the people who were meant to care for them in those programs, the ostensibly trained individuals who could handle different situations, whether it be a traumatic situation or a um, or any number of uh, uh, of difficult children who are who are experiencing trauma and dealing with things that are cropping up from their past, uh, end up not being able to handle that, whether it be first aid or just any clinical uh, psychological training. So when you have someone who's 21, who's fresh out of high school, who just has a high school diploma, um, they're oftentimes making the situation worse, if not just setting a low bar for children to go on living the way they had before, without the supervision, without real mentorship uh, that they need in order to um, benefit from, from such a program. Of course, a lot of the programs are in such remote places that getting the type of staffing that is required to... Uh, care for children and at-risk youth, children in need and at-risk youth, it's not always possible, but there needs to be a more stringent and um, uh, due diligence on the part of the programs and looking for and hiring staff who can um, better their programs and who can uh, offer more insight to children as they need it.
0: Are there other types of wilderness therapy options that don't fall into the category of... Um... This, this type of program that you're describing where the counselors aren't fully trained to help kids with their mental health issues?
1: So the third prong, I mentioned two prongs initially. I mentioned the transporting to the programs is an issue. The second is the staffing of the programs is an issue, then the, the un, uh, unqualified nature of some of the staff. The third is the fact that children can't leave or communicate with their parents that they are, they are restricted to this environment against their will. And having gone through AA, having gone through therapy all my life, I know that you are not going to change if you're forced into it. So to answer your question, the better programs that I've seen are the ones abroad, the ones outside of America, the ones that offer a child an opportunity to have this experience, to go into wilderness therapy or adventure therapy or outdoor behavioral therapy, and experience it for themselves. And if they don't like it or if they're finding it difficult or if they wanna go home, they're allowed to. And in that way you give the agency to the child and the child is then making the choice to be in therapy and that's already empowering rather than stripping them of their rights to feel empowered. Um, And people who run these programs overseas, I'm thinking specifically of one in Australia, um, they have come out with recent studies as well that suggest that the transportation of the kids is is, is so Ill, so effective in damning the child through the rest of the program that it almost negates any sort of positive behavior, um, positive outcomes from wilderness therapy.
0: I'm so I'm so curious. Um, is this the case for the majority of programs in the U.S.? All programs in the U.S.? Are there some that you've heard of over the years, like private companies that run? Um, more modern, more updated versions of these programs with maybe not that kind of transportation process?
1: I I think this gets to one of your next questions, um, is that after I published the book, I did receive a lot of letters and notes and emails from people who run smaller programs for uh, disadvantaged youth, for um, um, uh, neurodiverse children, um, all different types of smaller programs, who said that this isn't me that my program is not like the ones you described. And I heard them and I still hear them. The issue is is that in the course of reporting, troubled and interviewing more than 100 former staff and parents and people who went to these programs, the majority of the time people were sent to the programs that I've described that that required transportation, that stripped children of their right to feel unique and heard and cared for. Um, and then sent them on to several other programs without ever giving them the true treatment that they need. And I've never disputed the fact that a lot of the children, including myself, needed some sort of help or treatment. Um, I wouldn't have written the book if I felt that there was a minority of programs that were doing this that, this, that these were programs that were just the odd person, odd program out. These are the majority of programs that I came across, privately funded, even some who received medic, uh, federal funding, Um, So there are programs that are doing good, but that's, that's, I don't, I'm not, I'm not as a journalist here to say, congratulations, you deserve a profile and an award. I'm here to say there's a problem with the majority of the programs that are operating in this realm, and they need to be looked at and adjusted.
0: Sure. Something else that stuck out to me from the Very Bad Therapy podcast was how you talked about how students or the kids who were sent to these programs were extremely motivated to alter their behavior so that they could go home and that the problem, the problem behavior would stop for in the short term so that they wouldn't be sent back. Can you talk more about that and maybe any other misconceptions about how therapeutic or effective wilderness therapy is?
1: The identified patient has always been in this privately funded trouble team industry, wilderness therapy included. The identified patient is the child. And time and again, I found that the identified patient should be the family, the parents, who inevitably have not changed by the time the, the child comes home. With that said, the child comes home and has to act accordingly because they are afraid of being sent back to a program or, or, or messing up and having their parents call someone to take them again in the middle of the night, traumatic as it was. What the industry, including the Outdoor Behavioral Health Council and all these other people who are industry leaders and and, uh, publish their own um, um, industry funded studies will tell you is that all of the evidence shows that after six months at these programs, children do better, that they're no longer doing drugs, that they're getting better grades, six months, 12 months, what they don't do don't tell you is that those kids are still in different programs six months 12 months after those programs so the attrition rate after the program in reality two years down the line is a lot different than what the studies are showing they're not doing quantitative studies of these children once they graduate and go off to college or go off to their first job or go off to an internship and see how they fare there. They just see how they fare within this realm of programs, which we talked about a little earlier, willingness to residential to maybe a lockdown if it's, if it's necessary or back to a therapeutic boarding school as they roll back the need for, for the on hand um, uh, hands-on treatment. Um, So that's, I think one of the misconceptions is that one is beneficial but for the need of the other programs that come later. It's not that wilderness therapy has ever proven well enough because children don't often stay only in wilderness. They don't often go home after wilderness. They often go somewhere else. Are there cases where children go home after wilderness? Of course, but they are among the minority.
0: So what kind of programs or interventions do you think would be helpful to replace wilderness therapy or in any case supplements?
1: I'm not saying anything should be replaced, and I've long given up on suggesting the crumbling of the entire um, industry. I think that if American-based wilderness therapy took a play out of the books of foreign wilderness programs, allowing the children more leniency and latitude, um, working with the parents more directly, um, shortening the time frame away from their their discourse community and their friends and the people who they'll have to go back and integrate with later rather than stripping them of any way of of connecting with their peers. I think those are positive ways of changing. Of course, there's a litany of reasons why they won't do that, several of which I couldn't even tell you myself because I don't run a program. But I think that there needs to be a concerted focus on the family first and foremost. And with that, secondarily comes this idea of intensive outpatient and group therapy within the community that a child is in. Um, to then expect them after two years away to go back and function in a society that isn't based on a hierarchy of levels and, and treatment scoring um, is is, is Beyond irreconcilable, so these local these local treatment programs, these options for um, in school programming um, should be developed further. And of course, there are state level, state funded options where there are checks and balances, and there are uh, people who are looking into the programs to making sure there aren't abuses. Um, These things are available. I just think a lot of times, and this goes back to your question about um, some of the. Um, some of the misconceptions is that parents feel that they don't have any other choice when they meet with an ed consultant who says wilderness therapy is great. Um, they feel that they've run, run the course of every other treatment. It's just not the case. And as states become more aware of what's happening in some of these privately funded programs, um, I think that there will be concerted effort to bolster the cap- capabilities of community-based treatment.
0: I've got quite a bit of background noise right now. I don't know if you can hear it, Um, but can you still hear me? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, Well, you touched on what in this industry needs to change to serve its clientele, which would be more autonomy, um, kind of just the overhaul of the current policies and just some major renovation of structure. Um, Is there anything else that that you would change that you might not have mentioned to, to make these programs beneficial for its clientele?
1: I, I just really wanna reiterate the notion that parents should be brought in a lot earlier. There's um, programs that offer therapeutic lessons for parents on the side so they can track along with their children in their treatment program um, and their treatment plan for the child, but it's just not as intensive. It's just, they're not just receiving the same sort of attention that the children are. So there's a dissonance between the therapy that the children is getting and the therapy, the child is getting in the, th- excuse me, and the therapy that the parents need to get. Um, I just often find I often found that the parents really did have a lot of issues that were going on and, and inadvertently put those onto the children so that the safe environment at home, that environment that gives rise to really obedient and and caring and empathetic children was long dismantled um, and rebuilding that is very difficult so. Going very, very, very far back, having that open discourse with your child and, and, and focusing the efforts in-house, I think um, will yield better results in the end. But again, um, I always preface that I'm a new father and I have very young children myself, so I'll learn as I go as well.
0: Yeah, I, I do agree that a more systemic holistic approach would probably be the way to actually resolve some of these deeper issues that are the root of the problematic behaviors.
1: Yeah, I think there's I think there's something to be said for just the general ethos of how we treat pain and, and psychological ailments and um, therapy in this country as a as a as a monetized capitalistic approach to this. There's a way to pay for it to get it taken care of. And if we just pay more money um, and put it aside, something will will fix itself. It's just not the case. It requires a lot of work. I don't necessarily want to do all the work. It's very difficult. I have my own life. My children have their own lives. And the same goes for when I was a kid. I had my own life. My parents had their own lives. That division is is coarse and it's difficult to overcome. But there are ways to do it. And there are ways to to foster that relationship and really work on it um, long term so that when it comes time to uh, grapple with internal uh, struggles within the family, we don't just sit back and say, well, if I could send them away for two years, maybe they'll change.
0: Speaking of sort of throwing money at the problem, how much do do wilderness therapy programs typically cost?
1: So, again, we've been focusing on some somewhat focusing on wilderness therapy in this in this conversation. Um, But generally speaking, it could be anywhere from 30 to 50,000 for a full course, uh, whether that be for 30 days or 60 days. Um, generally it's paid out as as the first 28 days is a is an x amount 30 grand and then five to six hundred dollars a day thereafter if the child takes longer to complete the program
0: so an incentive then for counselors and these programs to keep the kids there longer
1: there is but i'm not necessarily sold on the idea that Counselors are doing this because they're not getting the money directly. Um, I think there are probably considerations in so far as where the child goes next after the program. I know that the three programs I went to, for instance, and this is fairly typical, were all owned by the same health group. Um, so I'll, every program was sort of feeding into the next one and was uh, my parents were convinced that this was the sort of treatment path that I needed. Um, of course, by the time I got to the end of the, uh, the 288 days, I came back home and I, I just couldn't function as a normal person among high school, uh, colleagues, uh, high school contemporaries, because we had very different experiences and that, that, that followed me into my, uh, early adulthood.
0: That makes me curious, what kind of therapy or healing did you have to do? What kind of, what did that look like for you after returning back from these programs?
1: For me, I ended up um, going through a lot of trouble, I, I did a lot of bad things. I got into a lot of trouble as I grew up, and um, I learned the hard way a lot of different a lot of different things that I didn't have to learn. Um, and then, just at some point, at twenty five, I I changed. I decided that I wanted to focus on writing and and be a certain type of person and contribute to society. And um, you know, I met a woman, and 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 she changed the way I perceived my future. And from then on, I wasn't really thinking in that juvenile notion of oh well. Um, instant gratification. I'm only looking a week ahead, maybe a night ahead. Now I was thinking 10, 20 years ahead. And this isn't just a, a silly parable that that I'm giving you. This is truth in so far as the adolescent brain developing fully by 25. You know, 1920, it's still sort of erratic. 21, 22, it still isn't fully developed. 25, things start to settle in place. And that goes for your brain as well. So I just figured it out. I don't have a really good answer. I'm not in therapy anymore. i sort of unfortunately, I've been turned off to it. Um, I don't seek it out. I don't want to be a part of it. I find it all to be phony. And And I hate saying it out loud because I know it helps people. But for me and some of the people that I interviewed, their experience at a young age with therapy was so traumatic and so difficult that they just gave up. And that even if help were available, and it isn't always available, even if help were available, they'd still choose just to be on their own.
0: And you touched a little bit earlier on critique that you received on your publications. Um, was there anything else that that jumps to mind that you think might be worth mentioning?
1: Sure. A lot of parents write to me and tell me that uh, the program was beneficial for their children, um, that I don't know what I was, I don't know what I, whatever I experienced was not what their child experienced, um, and that clearly their child is doing better. And invariably, somewhere at the end of the email, they note that the child just got out of the program, and we already discussed this, so we don't need to rehash it, or that their their child is still in the program, or the child is very young. Um, and it always strikes me as curious that the parents feel the need to write me, and I never get messages from children or past clients who say, I had a good time, I learned a lot, and now I'm a young adult or an adult who feels more empowered and better off than when I was before the programs. That's never happened. It's always been a defensive parent who writes and tells me that their reasoning, through no fault of their own, again, I say that they were led astray, that they were, mis, uh, uh, they were mis, misdirected by an educational consultant of the schools in which the child was attending, and they want to defend their position for what they, what they sent their child through. And I, and I think it's also sad that they feel the need to do that in large part because it wasn't their fault and they were at their wit's end and they chose what they felt was the best option. Unfortunately, the long arm of these programs, the troubled teen industry as it's become known as, is, is, is so strong that it makes these parents feel like that this is the best option and it isn't.
0: Um, on that note, is there anything else you'd like parents, educators or therapists to know about these different programs?
1: I think do your research as best you can, but uh, consult multiple people. Don't just rely on education consultants, rely on former parent. rely on parents of troubled teens, rely on a lot of the networks on, on social media that will share stories and alternatives to um, uh, these more drastic solutions. And really, just at the end of the day, it's about communication and setting yourself aside and uh, listening to the child. I think the biggest mistake that was made. On, to me, the biggest mistake that people made while addressing me and talking to me as a teen and a young adult was trying to liken their experience to my own. And I find that the most aggravating tactic that therapists and um, social workers use because they don't know. My son is two years, two and a half years old, and what he's going through right now, pandemic aside, is so inconceivable. And when he's 10, and I'm still 30, 40 years older than him, I won't understand what he's going through. And that's okay. And understanding that and and admitting that to a child opens up an avenue of communication that isn't there if you say, I was your age once and I get it, because we don't.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us for our interview series, Ken. It was great to have your perspective and to hear
1: more about wilderness therapy and these different programs. Maya, thank you. I appreciate it.